greet you in the name of Jesus. We sing about the glory gates that are ever open wide. There is no need for sun or moon, it says, and the doors to the gates are never shut. But Jesus wants us to come and be with him forever. I uh, appreciate the songs that have been sung this morning and the devotional. You know, the first song was, Lord, give us a vision for souls that have gone astray. Do we have that vision for those in the church and those outside of the church and their souls? Do we, do we have a burden to bring them to Jesus Christ? I hope that we do this morning, and that's the reason that we, one of the reasons that we gather here today. I appreciated the, the thoughts and the devotional. Whether we live unto the Lord or whether we die, we, we die unto the Lord, whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. That's, that's who made us, that's who created us, and that's who gave us the breath of life, and that's who's willing to redeem us from our sins if we ask him to. Third generation faith would be the title of the message today, third generation faith. And this title might be a little bit strange, but it, I feel like it's what the Lord gave me. And uh, let's think back a little bit to the year 1808. 1808. You know, as we were in, in Washington, D.C., we went to, to look at the Arlington House where uh, George Washington's uh, adopted grandson built a, a house in, in, to remember George Washington by. That was 1808, and that's over, you calculate that, that's what, 200-some years ago. Another date that comes to mind is 1868. You know, there's some of you know Pastor Terry Dow that comes to visit every once in a while. He hasn't, their church he goes to up there was, I think if I remember right, was built in 1868, right after the Civil War. And, you know, it's got, Rick would be interested in knowing, it's got three layers of brick laid up in the walls, and it's, it's just an old building, an old building where they have Faithway Bible Church. And then another mind that Another date is 1892, and there's a, there's a house in Greene County that I've done a lot of work to over the years, and it's just right east of the old church up there. I think it's one of the oldest standing houses in Greene County. And I, I say these things to, to, to get us to think those are things that are 200, 100-some years old, but let's think about third-generation faith. Each generation, I think, would be considered around 20 years. If we take my life, my children's life, grandchildren so every it's 20 20 uh 20 years maybe 20 to 30 for each generation what all changes and what all stays the same what all endures for three generations let's say 60 years i like history probably most of you know that especially my my wife and children i like old buildings and really like old churches you know, we can be driving through the hills of Martin County, and I see an old church on the side of the road, and I like to just just pull over and go inside. If the door's unlocked, I'd like to go inside and just, just sit in there and think about how it was when this church was built and all the messages that were preached and what the people looked like and what they did. Now, let's think back to 1522 or 25 is when the Anabaptist church was kind of started loosely started and that's 500 years ago that it's been going it's been growing 
from one generation to the next, to the next. That precious faith of our Lord Jesus Christ is being passed from one generation to the next generation. How precious is that faith to you and I this morning? That faith in our Lord and Savior. How valuable is that faith to us today? Third generation faith. Do we love, do we value our faith enough that we want to pass it on to our children and to our children's children? There's a verse in Proverbs, and you don't, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll just read it. It says, Proverbs 13, 22. It says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. So we think about that a little bit, about a good man leaves an inheritance. And I believe here it's talking more of the physical inheritance of a good man leaving some uh, tangible things behind, some, some uh, property or a house or, or some cows or, or whatever you have, maybe some tools. A good man leaves that inheritance to his children's children, not just to his children, but to his children's children. Something that he's, he's put a lot of time into, a lot of effort, and now they get to, to uh, reap some of that, that hard labor. Well, let's think about that in, a, in more of a spiritual sense. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. What are we leaving back for our children's children, for our grandchildren? What kind of spiritual blessings are we passing on and making available to them? You know, I was challenged this week by a man. He, he uh, talks pretty plain to me. And he said, you know, Gary, you're going to have to think about your grandchildren. You don't have grandchildren, but someday you might. And this is probably part of the reason I'm preaching what I am. But he said, you need to have, take steps for your grandchildren. Make sure that they have a safe place to worship the Lord and to continue to serve him. And I don't know that I've put a lot of thought into that as much as I should have. What does it say in 1 John, or 3 John? It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I think that, as a parent, I can testify that we have no greater joy than to hear that our children are walking with the Lord. And maybe some of you older ones that have grandchildren would say that you could put the same thing in there. I have no greater joy than to hear that my grandchildren are walking in truth and maybe great-grandchildren, or whatever. That The line goes on and on. So third-generation faith. What is faith? You know, it's, it's a Hebrews writer gives us a definition. I like the way the Bible explains itself. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were, point, were not made of things which do appear. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
faith. It's believing. It's trusting. And it's believing and trusting in more than just anything. It's faith in God, our, our maker, our creator, our sustainer. Do we have faith in that, that God of the universe? Faith in his son, Jesus Christ, our redeemer, our savior, the one who suffered and died on Calvary's hill. He was buried and he rose again so that you and I could walk free. Do we have faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in his word. How important is this word to you and I? Do we believe that this book is God-breathed? That it's the very word of God and it, it carries the promises, the truths that we need to get through this life into the next life? I might have shared this before, but I tried to share one. I had many instances up at the old church parking lot. I would meet people that were just driving through, and I met a, a uh, can't think of what they're called now. He's not an atheist, but somebody that doesn't believe there is a God. Maybe somebody can help me with that. Well, this agnostic. There we go. Yeah, so I was, I was trying to... Two, uh, I told him that I was. This was our church, and it's a part of this church, and yeah, we uh, we believe that there's a heaven and a hell. And I was telling him these things, and you know everything that I tell him something, and he said, "What makes you believe that?" I say, "Well, the Bible says so," but he dismissed the Bible. He didn't have any confidence that this was the Word of God, and so I said, "Well, who do you think made the the trees and the clouds?" I said, "I believe that God made those." He said, why do you believe that? And I said, because the Bible says so. And he says, he doesn't believe the Bible. So when you come up against that, somebody that doesn't have any faith in the word of God, you feel kind of hopeless. But yeah, I, I just, do we have faith in the word of God? Do we believe that in six days he created the heavens and the earth and all that is within them? It just puts you in a, you know, to be raised or to be brought up and to think, to believe that this wasn't the word of God and it wasn't true. And to discredit it is just, it really puts you at a bad disadvantage. Do we have faith in his word? What does it say? It says, the, in Isaiah, the flower, something about the, the, the God's word shall stand forever. And his word will stand forever. Do we have faith in his Holy Spirit? The one who says that he will never leave us nor comfort us. He says, I will abide with you forever. The one who says he will bring all things to remembrance. Do we have faith in that? Do we have faith that God, that Jesus has prepared for us a home in heaven? Do we want to pass that faith on to our children? Faith in God. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in his word. Faith in the Holy Spirit. And to our children's children. How valuable is that to you and I? Is it our top priority to pass it on to our children? Am I willing to make decisions today to help them tomorrow? Am I willing to make sacrifices today that would help them tomorrow? Do I think about the future and how my 
choices impact others. And I believe that most of us here today, or if not all of us, are third generation believers. I think we probably all came from homes that were not perfect homes, but our mom and dad taught us about God, faith in God. Our grandma and grandpa were believers. Probably our great-grandma and grandpa. And it goes back. It's hard telling how many generations we are from. You know, as, as we think about third-generation faith, I don't necessarily want to stop with third. I think we can go on and on. But there's instances in the Bible where we see third-generation failures. You look at Abraham and Isaac and Esau, three generations. I believe the faith was lost. You look at David and Solomon and Rehoboam, three generations, the faith was lost. Turn with me to Psalm 16. There's just one verse I'd like to read, I think one verse before I go into Timothy. Let's start with Psalm 16, verse 5. I might read a couple of verses. It says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance, and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And that verse... I wasn't even sure where it was found, but I just, that verse came to me, verse 6. The lions are fallen to me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. And I think all of us come from homes that are not perfect, but we can say we have a goodly heritage. I think there's been something passed on to us that we want to keep. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy, and we'll look at a third generation faith that we find in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 1. <clears throat> this is Timothy's story. Timothy, Paul's helper in the ministry and a missionary that, that served by his side and I think was very, very helpful in the early church. 2 Timothy verse chapter 1, verse 5. It says, When I call to remembrance, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So here we see the third generation of faith. Where does it, you know, we, we often, you know, we, we read Timothy, the letter to Timothy. We read the book of Timothy, the second book, and, and we think about Timothy and maybe, you know, what all he done for the church, but do we ever think about Timothy's grandmother? 
It's grandmother Lois. It says that when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, it's in Timothy, it was dwelt first in Lois, his grandmother. She was had an impact on Timothy's life. She was part of the reason that he turned out like he did, that he was a believer. For the grandmothers mothers that are here today, I want to encourage you with that. And also the grandfathers. And then it goes on to say, and thy mother Eunice. So apparently this faith was passed from Lois to Eunice and then was passed on down to Timothy. And here we have a picture of third generation faith found in the New Testament. I believe it's the way God would like for it to be. You know, there's no mention or we don't really know much about Timothy's father more than in Acts 16 it would say that he was a Greek that Eunice was married to a Greek man so he very likely was an unbeliever but we don't know if he was alive or anything about Timothy's father but we do know a lot about Timothy's mother and his grandmother and the impact that they had on Timothy and it was from child up. You know, they may have sang songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And they taught him holy scriptures. That's what we find in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. It says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Who did Timothy learn them from? Probably his mother and his grandmother, for sure. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So, from a child up, Timothy was exposed to the holy scriptures. And that helped to form who he was. That helped to train him. Proverbs writes, it says, Train up a child in the way he shall go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's, I think, good instruction for us as parents. We train up a child in the Holy Scriptures. And we teach them in order that they learn the truth. I was sitting in on a meeting the other night and we talked about algebra and I, I guess that came to my mind as I was thinking of different letters and, and things that would A plus B equals C. And so I came up with this little equation, faith in God plus living for God equals salt and light to the watching world. And whenever we have that faith in God and it's so strong that it, it shapes the way we live each day, and that's when God can use us and we can be salt and light to the watching world. You know, Jesus said, For let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's about glorifying Him. It's not about making us look good. It's about Him. So point one, passing on the faith in good times. How do we pass on the faith in good times? Deuteronomy 8 and there's a, there's a lot could be, be shared. 
look at a couple of scriptures there. And it talks about being in a good land. Deuteronomy 8, verse 7. It says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of, those, out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Does that sound like the land that we live in? Plenty of water, plenty of food. Plenty of everything. A land that does not lack anything in it. It says in verse 10, When thou hast eaten and are full, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Then it gives us a warning in verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. And we saw that, I think, we look at the children of Israel, they God brought them into a good, good land and blessed them and provided for them and they forgot God. Would we be capable of doing the same? That's part of passing on our faith is to share with others who's sharing with us. It's God that gives us the good land. It's God that gives us the good, the food to eat and provides for us. That's passing on the faith in good times, in good lands. In Deuteronomy 6, we speak more specifically about children. Familiar verses here. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And verse 7 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes. And thou shalt write them on, upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gate. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he sware unto the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells dig, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shall swear by his name. Thou shalt not go after other gods, but the gods of the people which are round about you. For, thy, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. So, we're to teach our children diligently. It doesn't really, it's when we're standing up, when we're sitting down, when we're walking, when we're lying down, when we're rising up, to teach them diligently the scriptures, to teach them the commandments of God, passing on the faith in good times. And I believe that all of us could say that we've lived in some good times, in times where God has richest blessings has richly blessed us. Point number two, passing on the faith in hard times, in tough times, when there's opposition. Now, you don't have to go very 
very far into the Anabaptist history and find that they were faced with a lot of opposition. They were burned at the stake. They had, they had all kinds of things done to them. They were drowned. They, were, they had different things done to them. They were killed for their faith. How do you pass on the faith in hard times, in tough times? Who is the opposition? We read in Revelations that the devil knows his time is short. I believe he's very busy working, trying to discourage us. Passing on the faith in hard times. I think, again, it's going to, the effort that we put on into passing on the faith in hard times is going to be directly tied to how valuable our faith is to our own life. Matthew 22, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all the heart, with all the soul, and with all the mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we want to keep on loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in hard times. We want to keep on loving our neighbor as ourselves. In hard times. Why would we want to do that? Because. What does it say in the Bible? It says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. We want to keep doing that. We want to keep loving God, loving our neighbor, because someday we'll give an account. We want to keep going to church. Turn with me to Hebrews 10, if you would like. Again, a, a familiar passage. This is one way that we pass on the faith. We'll keep going to church. It says... In 10.25, it's a commandment. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Don't forsake taking your children to church. Why do we do that? It says, to exhort one another. And we think of exhorting as warning, but it's also encouraging. Encouraging one another for the journey ahead. So much the more as you see the day approaching. There's a day coming. And Jesus will return. And it also says to provoke one another. The verse before that says, Let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. To provoke and to love and good works. To, to encourage each one to, to continue to love and to do good works. That's the reason for going to church. One of the reasons. Passing on the faith in hard times. Passing on the faith for all times. Hebrews, next page, Hebrews 12. And I don't mean to read this passage every time I preach, but it just seems like it fits. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus will be easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him 
that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Keep looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep our eyes on him. It talks about running a race. And this thing of passing on our faith, I had to think of a relay race. I think we used to have some of those back when I was in school. And you've probably all been involved or saw a relay race where one runner is running with all his might and he brings something and he passes it on to the next runner. He takes off and he goes and it just keeps going and going. And what does it take for a relay race to work? You have to have at least two people. You can't run a relay race by yourself. And this thing of passing on our faith is not something we do by ourselves. There's one there that has the faith, and there's another one there that is willing to take the faith and to receive it. It takes both. And it's a choice that whether we are the giver or the receiver. And if we are a believer, we've been at least on the receiving side. Are we on the giving side of passing on the faith? Either one of the, the runner or the receiver can fail, and it can be an incomplete race. And when there's an incomplete race, when it's talking about spiritual things, there's souls at stake. There's a heaven and a hell. And you know, in sports today, and there has been for quite some time, they have something, when there's a race or a ball game, you can have automatic replay. You can hit the button, or if you're watching it, they'll, they'll have different angles and different, different views, and they'll play it again from this angle. You can, you can watch, and you're like, oh, right there. We see where he messed up. He dropped the ball. Automatic replay shows that, and it reveals where the ball was dropped, where the fumble took place. And it's easy for us to see. That's where they messed up. Will there ever be an automatic replay on you and I's life? You know, whenever we go to a viewing or a funeral, what will people say? There'll be a little bit of a replay of our life. Of the choices that we made, the decisions that we made throughout our life. Many times, the good ones are remembered, and that's, that's good. So at my funeral, at a family reunion where our grandchildren will be gathered, great-grandchildren, and they have an automatic replay of you and I's life, what will be said? Well, they say, she was faithful. He was faithful until the end. Well, they say they kept the faith. It's our decision to make. My mind went to a football game as I was thinking of automatic replay, and I'm probably seeing a little sports-minded today. But whenever you have a, a team that they huddle together and they, they get together and they're there and the coach is drawing out the play, he's drawing out the plan. This is what we're going to do. And they're all gathered together and they say, let's go for it. 
Let's go for it. We're going to go all the way to the finish line. We're going to make a touchdown. And those men come out of that huddle, and that's what they have in mind, is to make that work. They have a play. They have blockers. They have receivers. They have a guy, the quarterback, to do a handoff. And they're all got the same goal in mind, to make it to the finish line. Is that how our family, is that how our church works? We have a little huddle. We come together here on Sunday. And the goal is to make it to the finish line by working together, pulling together. How can, and then whenever they draw up these plays, I'm sure the coach knows what's worked in the past and what's failed in the past. And I think for us as Christians today, as believers, can we look at history and find out what has worked in the past and what has failed in the past? You know, I'm very interested in hearing the testimony of believers. I love to hear the testimony of believers. I love to hear the testimony of first-generation believers, ones that were not raised in a Christian home, and how they came to know Christ. And I really love to hear the testimony of first-generation Anabaptists. And my mind goes to a few of them, like Tom Gearn and Paul Emerson and Tom Kirkman. And I like to hear those men's stories, and I ask them, what brought you to church? And I, I can't remember all the details and all of them, but as, I, I, as Tom Kirkman got to be an older man, I, I went to visit him, and you know I can't remember the whole story, but the way I remember it, he was working in Washington, D.C., and then he came to Bedford, but he, I think he was working for a newspaper. Maybe some of you could tell the story better than I can. I might leave out details, and I'm sorry if I do, but he read in the newspaper of an Amish man that was being held in jail because he wouldn't put the orange triangle on his buggy. And Tom thought, what would possess somebody to go to jail for their faith? He wants to go check it out. So he went down to Orange County somewhere, I think, and he went to the jail, and when he got to the jail, the first thing he noticed was the door was open. The door wasn't even shut, and the man was sitting in there. Delmish man, and he, this man shared his faith with Tom. And he saw that he had something that he wanted. So are we willing to do that? To pass that on? So I like to hear those stories, those accounts of how God has worked. <clears throat> on the way home from Washington, D.C., we were riding on the train, and there was a lady. There's another story that I sometimes like to hear just so I don't make the same mistakes. There was a lady come up beside our family as we was there. And we started talking, and she said, you're my cousins. I can tell by looking at you, you're my cousins. And she went on to say that she said, my grandpa was an old order Amish. I think I'm related to you. I'm sure you're my cousin. And she talked to us a little while there and told us a little bit about her, 
about her, about her history. And uh, after she went back and sat down, I, told, I asked Becky, I said, is it okay if I go back there? And I'd like to ask a little bit more about her history. Why she is where she is. So she had told us that she was a doctor. And so I went back and I asked her, I said, a little bit about her history. No, she thought I meant her history in Switzerland. And she, she started back in Switzerland and told me how her great-great-great-grandpa and Moses showed her, and she went through the thing, and they came in 1830, and, and uh, she told me all the lineage. She said, I've been over there, and I've saw it. I said, well, she got done with that. I said, could you tell me a little bit about your grandpa? She said, well, he was... He didn't like the way the Amish did things. When he was 14, he ran away. He ran away from home. And when he was 16 or 17, he came back, and she, she had a lot of other details about it. And he married the, the neighbor girl, an Amish girl, and then they left. And I said, if you don't mind me asking, I said, did he go to church after that, or what did he do? And she said, oh, yeah, he went to the Methodist church where he, he left the Amish and he went to the Methodist church. And, and her dad, I'm not sure where he went. But anyway, she, she told me some of these things. And, you know, I, I looked at this lady and she told me she had lived the American dream as the, the, the American dream would be portrayed. You know, she came from a, a poor, uneducated family. And she told me she went to school for 30 years, consecutive years. 30 years she went to school. And she became a doctor. She was a PhD and MD and OB and a GYN. And she had, I mean, if you look her name up on there on the computer, she has a bunch of letters behind her name. And she was so busy with her career and making money, she said, we didn't have didn't have time to have a child until I was in my 40s because I was wanting to get my career going. She said, when my son was eight years old, and these are the things, now you can't read somebody's mind, but you can put pieces together. She said, when my son was eight years old, I wanted to send him down to Arthur, Illinois for a summer to live with an Amish family. She had a desire for her son to be in that setting. And she said, my dad told me he'd probably just get in the way. Then she said, I have a nephew that's in Bloomington going to IU. Can I send him to your house to meet you guys? And so I don't know exactly what she was thinking, but I don't know that the American dream had accomplished, right? Had really brought fulfillment into her life. I think she saw something that she would have liked to have. So how precious is our faith to us? You know, that really wasn't her decision. Her grandpa made that decision however many years ago. And yes, she has a decision. She can still come to Christ. She can still go to church. That's her decision. But I think her grandpa had a part in that decision. Dr. Yoder's decision. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. I want to leave us with some encouragement.
for us as believers, as parents, as grandparents, as youth, it says, 1557, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ valuable enough to us that we'll hand it on to the next generation, to the next generation, and the next generation? I believe it is. So let's take care and ask God to help us, to give us wisdom and courage and strength to do that. And we kneel for prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause before you at this time. We thank you, Lord, for another hour that you've given us to come together to sing songs of praise, to worship you in spirit and truth, to hear your word. Lord, we believe your word and we trust in your word and the promises found there. You tell us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that you will come again to receive us, that we can go to be where you are. And Lord, as believers here in this building today, I pray that you would give us a desire to pass on the faith that you've instilled in us. And we could have third-generation faith, fourth-generation, fifth-generation. That, that chain would not be broken, Lord, but that someday, as families, Ones that we have met and haven't met, we could all be joined together again, sitting around your throne, singing praise to you because you are worthy. We commit this into your hands and pray the sweet work will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.